0: thewellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives
1: if you've ever wanted to meet the person behind the person, to hear the story behind the story, or just want to learn what makes successful people tick, how they navigate through the tough times, and how you could apply what they do to help in your journey, then stick around and join Global Change CEO turned mentor, Stu Hayes, as he asks questions just like these to our amazing guests each week on Careers Unplugged. If you feel happy,
2: committed, and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer, and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged and the Master of Me coaching program, Stewie Hayes. Stewie, how's your day?
0: Rich, it's absolutely spectacular. I'm still chuckling from uh, our conversation just a minute ago off air, um, and just thinking about where this This interview could go today. It's going to be wonderful.
2: (laughs) Well, I suspect it's going to be an exciting, high-energy interview, and I'm personally excited
0: about it. Do you want to tell our listeners all about today's guest? I do. Uh, So our special guest today is an award-winning trainer and educator who has helped youth and adults across the world to get a whole new perspective on learning and on life. She's an author. She's a trainer. She is one of the most high-energy speakers and presenters on the world stage, And she's also a person with a deep commitment to actually making a difference and actually helping people engage and play their biggest game. It's a journey that began for her at a young age, and she's been committed to it ever since. Rich, it is my great pleasure to welcome to Careers Unplugged, all the way from Cincinnati, USA, Sarah Singanori. Welcome, Sarah.
3: Hi. Hey, great to be here with you guys.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Sarah, it's been a long road. To, to, this, to this
2: show, tell the listeners where it all began.
3: Oh, for me, it started really a long time ago. So this journey for me is is so meaningful truly every day because I I have to say, here I am now – not only all the wonderful things you described so thank you for that introduction but also as the mom of three kids and i look at my kids who are 14, 11 and 9 and every single day as i look at them i think about when i was their age which is really when this started so when i was about the age of my youngest son of 9 i started to actually hate school and it wasn't because I didn't love learning. I actually loved learning. So I I used to get in trouble for taking things apart and putting them back together and staying up way too late past my bedtime because I had a flashlight under my covers and I was reading things that you know were kind of ahead of my grade level but I was really interested in and then I wouldn't get enough sleep and then but the big thing was that as much as I loved to learn, I didn't I started to hate school because it started to not feel like learning is what it was about. It started to feel like what it was about is just doing what I was told and fitting in some sort of a box, even though I didn't really have that language at the time. You know, By the time I got to secondary school, to high school, I was pretty hard to be around. By then, I was pretty surly. I had a pretty big chip on my shoulder. Um, I wasn't negative because I don't know that I've ever been a negative person. I've always been positive, but I, I, mean, I really believe that every skeptic is an optimist who's just been – injured enough times that that now they're a skeptic, right? And I think I, I started to become sort of that. I started to become a little bit bitter about the whole thing. So I came in with an attitude and I just, you know, I would get into it with teachers and in high school especially it's all about points and I just wasn't interested in the points or the next thing and, you know, I got into some very philosophical conversations with the principal of our high school, about what is the point of this really. And it was right around the (laughs) summer coming up, um, the summer after ninth grade, my oldest brother, who has been on this very show, Blair Singer, 16 years older than me. And Blair had gotten involved with some pretty cutting-edge stuff at the time that was really addressing exactly where I was. Little did I know. He said, look, there's this thing. You need to go to it. It's this program. It's called Super Camp. I said, whoa, wait. wait. Super Camp? Really? Are you kidding? Like, do you get a cape at the end? That's the silliest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. I'm not doing it. He said, no, no, no. You got to understand. Like, there, this is an amazing opportunity for you to go take 10 days. I guarantee you, you'll want to go to school afterwards. And if not... You can if if by like twenty four hours into it, you don't want to stay. You can come home. I said, "Hmm, okay." So. I did some research. To this day, it's the only assignment from high school I can remember completing and remember what it was about, which I did a research paper on, on this idea of accelerated learning. I started to do some research. What is this thing called SuperCamp? What's accelerated learning? And came to find out that there's a whole world of research out there about how we actually learn that's way different than how most of us are taught in school and specifically how I was being taught. So I went away to this thing, long story short, a little bit shorter, (laughs) I went away to this program and what I found out was these big light bulbs came on for me, not because I got any smarter, but what I found out was that I wasn't crazy because I was really starting to wonder what is wrong with me that I'm not buying into this thing that everybody else thinks is so great. And what I found out was, is that I learned very differently than how I was being taught. I'm an incredibly keen aesthetic person. I'm very visual. I like to move around. I am not so sequential. And what I found was that the very ways that are core to how I process information were sort of opposite from how my teachers were teaching and really how school systems are designed. And so what I learned in these 10 days was how to translate what teachers were doing into my own language... And make it work. So I came back to school. I went from being like the kid who was in trouble all the time to the kid, no joke, like six months into my second year of high school, I was teaching classes in the school to teachers (laughs) about how they could actually be teaching differently using some different techniques that they were never taught in their training
2: how did you i'm really i know i know a little bit of this story so yeah that that day when you just tapped a teacher on the shoulder and said listen bob uh, (laughs) i I have to tell you you're doing it pretty poorly because of visual audio kinesthetic learning methods i need to teach you this how did you actually cross that river you know was it literally a tap on the shoulder or was it just a quiet letter handed over the desk with an apple
3: Right. Well, you know, the latter probably would have been more polite. That's not really my style. But so, <laughs> um, but what I actually started doing was just doing it differently. So I came back and I had this big tin full of these um, colored pens that I used. And instead of like the regular notes that everyone else was taking, I was mind mapping all of a sudden. Yep. And I was asking different kinds of questions. And my history teacher, I'll never forget this, my history teacher stood over my desk one time and he said, I don't understand what you're doing. And I said, well, I can teach it to you. (laughs) He said, and he didn't say anything and he kept moving on. And then I got an A on the next test and he stood over my shoulder again at the next lecture and watched what I was doing and said, okay, I want to know what you're doing. I said, okay, I can teach it to you. (laughs) I said, and I can also teach you how to memorize like 15 unrelated things in less than two minutes. You want to learn that too? (laughs) And he said, um okay. So I stayed after school. It was like literally the first time that I was asked to stay after school for a positive reason. (laughs) Um, And and so I taught this stuff. Yeah, (laughs) no kidding, right? And so I, I did exactly that. And I taught some strategies to him and started talking about right brain, left brain, started talking about visual auditory kinesthetic, started talking about um, the power of images versus words on a page, and color versus linear color versus black and white. And all of a sudden, it started to make sense because I took basically his notes, the history teacher's notes that he had up on a, an overhead, and as he was giving a lecture, and I showed it to him in a different language, which was in color and organic and with imagery on a page and a mind map, and showed him how I learned it. In half the time that it took him to actually get through the lecture. And so all of a sudden things started to open up. People started to get a little more interested. And my principal got interested, especially because I had had such a turnaround in my attitude toward the whole thing and said, OK, so what if we gave you like, you know, t- 2 hours after school to share a little bit of this. I said, "Okay, so but what would be better is why so don't you she's just let me- taking
0: the 2 hours that we're going to be dedicated to you in her office and put them after school."
3: <laughs> yeah, so I said I said I could do that. I said, "But what would be better? Why don't you just let me teach the class?" I said cuz it doesn't just work for history, it works for English, it works for science, it works for whatever. And so they took a gamble and they let me teach a whole day of classes. And what Happened was kids were into it. Teachers came and sat in. They were into it. So here I was, you know, sixteen, teaching high school classes that I had been failing myself beforehand, um, because I just wasn't interested. And all of a sudden, it was coming alive for teachers and for students. And honestly, from that day for from that day forward, every year, including when I was in college, when I was graduated from college, I would come back and have a full day off of classes where I got to teach classes all day in that school and teachers would come and teach. And that was sort of the beginning of it, honestly, as I made a decision that year that I was going to be an educator. And I think, you know, I look at myself now, so many years later, and I, I'm i still committed to the same thing, which is to open up possibility for people in the way that they interact with the world, in, including Relationships with one another, learning new information, creating something, and it started there. But it's it's a version of what I'm still doing today. You, I got Were you
2: to- setting goals at that time, Sarah? Were, you, were you, uh, you? You know, and and how did that work for you? Were you saying, right, I'm going to achieve this in this time? Are you a list writer?
3: Um, I am. I am a little bit of a list writer. I didn't necessarily set dates, but to me, it's about getting a really, really crystal clear picture of a horizon Mm -hmm. and then it becomes sort of like a magnet that I'm drawn toward, right? right? So that everything I do is getting one step closer. I'm a runner, so I love to run and I – To me, it's all about being able to see the horizon and and gauging where I am now and where that horizon is and and what is that path between here and there? What's the next step? What's 50 yards ahead? What's 200 yards ahead? And how do I pace myself between now and then? What do I need to navigate on the way? But
0: interestingly, like the horizon is uh, in all directions ultimately. So how do you sort of feel which way to go?
3: Such a great question. I mean, I was actually just thinking about that the other day as I was running. I think that it's it's really, you know, I mean, I'm talking literally in terms of, you know, running on a path, but it's absolutely metaphorical, metaphoric, I should say, in in looking at at it with some peripheral vision, right? To be able to look at the horizon, look at where I am and see every single thing around and how all of it plays into the full picture, right? And as we take one step closer, looking at all those things, you know, somebody's running in front of me and something I have to navigate around something. And so to me, it's constantly updating. It's like, you know, hitting, it's like a a, a picture on your, on your, computer that's constantly refreshing itself it's sort of that way and so it's for funny, me
0: it's Sarah, just to just maybe put some uh more clarity around that or as an illustration i'm i'm speculating you know, i am speculating yeah. because i've seen i have a nine-year-old now and uh and i see the education system in this country you know and we we read a lot um i'm thinking that your approaches to education are not always embraced by a lot of educators in a lot of schools, right? So yes. is that the case? Or-
3: well, yes. So, <laughs>
0: How hard has that been? And so what, what I was wondering is, you know, I'm speculating that there's been some tough situations that you've been placed in where you've been <laughs> uh, perhaps rejected personally because of these approaches. Yeah. How have you applied it- that sort of horizon concept in in the, in that context?
3: Yeah, and, you know, it's... I- it, I have. And I have to say that for me, even now, and I'm, you know, what I'm doing now is a little bit different than what I'll, I'm about to describe. But even today, I find that that is the case for people who are thinking outside the box. It's so easy to want to just not do it because you get to fit in and you get to be accepted. Right, so the the radical ideas are the ones that are usually pretty unpopular, except with a select few. But finding those select few is the magic, right? So when you when you can do that, it's this magical connection and this collaboration of creativity that can happen. But for me, you know, I I and Blair and I have talked about this um, just as recently as a couple months ago. I think for me, I've always been the sort of personality to get the most motivated by people who tell me that I can't, right? So
2: (laughs) The Jordan technique, yeah. Yeah, it really,
3: yeah, right, exactly. So it's, yeah, so that's all I need is for somebody to tell me how impossible it is, and that gets me fired up. So I'm a little crazy that way, but the school system was very much that way. So I was, you know, I... When I did get my degree, I decided that I was going to go and teach not in necessarily a place where they were already doing things differently, but quite the opposite. I wanted to find a place where I could teach the toughest kids who had who people had given up on in a system where they had been doing it the same way for a really long time. So I picked up everything I owned and I moved to Chicago Illinois and I started teaching on the south side of Chicago in a high school there which was incredibly gang infested so the kids were in trouble they were um they were members of gangs and competing honestly like the school was having to compete for their attention with you know being literally being drug dealers and making a lot of money by skipping school and being on the streets so a lot of the kids who were there were there because they were forced to be there by the courts um and so I had this window because the teachers in the school had been there for a really long time since before the, the this was the population of the neighborhood. So they had been there since, you know, Johnny and Susie came in with their, you know, five little sharpened pencils and their buttoned up shirts and were all ready to go. So these teachers were very... Um, Had kind of given up on these kids. They had. They're still teaching the same way they had been teaching for a really long time. And I have to say, phenomenal human beings. Phenomenal human beings. um, But just didn't have other methods. And so I came in with my music, and I turned the classroom all around, and I started trying all these things that I had been learning in these alternative from all these gurus and from all these alternative um, situations that I had been in with Super Camp and teaching all over the world in these really powerful ways. And it was rough. And part of why it was so rough is because I was in a culture where people were so vested in doing it the way that it had always been done. So there were a few people who were absolutely my champions and they were the ones who hired me to come there in the first place. But they were, you know, administration and they were outside of the kind of teacher culture.
2: So So, Sarah, I just just want to focus on something you just said there, which is, you know, they were invested in doing it the way it's always been done. Yeah. Uh, Is that because, and this is, I guess, not just in the education system, but in many humans in all walks of life. Uh, our, our ability to learn or willingness to continue to learn diminishes as we, we get older. So people go, oh, I know how to do that now. Now I can just do it that way. And, yeah. and they just keep repeating the same thing because, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, even in the face of it being broke, you know, uh, in the case right, of educating because, the kids.
3: Absolutely, because the, the notion of having to fix it means that I have to change. Mm. Means that I have to step outside of being the knower and become a learner again. Yeah. Right? So that's a comfort zone thing. It's absolutely comfort zone. I think that for
0: me, like I do, a lot of the work I do in the leadership space, Sarah, we use um, assessment tools. And what I've found is that um, people with high control as a starting Mm -hmm. point in their personality are quite change resistant, right? So for them, doing new things is challenging. Therefore, they don't leave their jobs in the first place. So in mm-hmm. in education and in government, in particular, you seem to get this um, over high concentration of people who just stay there, who are change resistant, yes. and a yeah. lot of the people that have opened the change, they keep shifting and moving to places that fit them.
3: That's um, right. So you yeah. get
0: these places like you're describing with a, with, a, with beautiful, wonderful people, but they're just change resistant. You know, it's
3: yeah. Exactly. Right. Cause it's, it's truly scary for them. Well, that's right? the, because, the university
0: yeah. thing where there's tenure ships and they
2: get in and oh, they stay yeah. for life, you know, yeah. Yeah. and, and, you know, when you were saying you were going to, to college and learning things that were from 50 years out of date. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the status quo in just about everything other than medicine, isn't it, <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, I you know? know.
2: I yeah. know, and I did a business degree. I was learning marketing stuff that was would have been, wow, the four Ps, you know, that was right. like from the 1950s, <laughs> you know?
3: Right, I know. Yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah. Yeah.
3: So so to me, you know, I, I definitely came up against resistance, right, to doing it a different way. And even for me, doing it a different way within my own classroom was threatening to a lot of people. So I remember, you know, it's, I remember getting hate mail, honestly, from the union, from people who had been sort of kind of taken me under their wing when I moved to Chicago and I didn't know anyone. And, you know, I was the new kid on the block and all of a sudden I was pretty isolated. Like a
0: letter in the mail, uh, anonymously. Yeah,
3: in my teacher mailbox at school. Yeah, threatening. What sort of results did
0: you get with these kids? So...
3: So the results that I got, and I have to, you know, it took a, it took a while. It took me adjusting to that culture. It took me, you know, getting comfortable in my own skin. And it took building trust with these kids who didn't trust teachers and didn't trust adults, period. um, Let alone some crazy, you know, curly haired girl from Ohio who talked really fast and really loud and played music and covered up all the blackboards in the classroom. They didn't know what to do with me. So But what happened is they learned quickly as I just stood there in front of them every single day and said the same thing, which is you get 100% of me today. Everything I've got, my energy, everything I know, every question I have, every experience I have is here for you. And I'm committed to you being more awesome when you walk out of here in 52 minutes than you just came in. You know you've got it. I know you've got it. Now it's up to the two of us to figure out how to prove it to the rest of the world because your test scores certainly don't show it. So let's figure that out. And so we would do that every day. And they – after a while, what started to happen is kids started to come to school more often, honestly, like at least to my class. I can't vouch for the other classes. They started, <laughs> <laughs> um they started to improve grade levels. And what I mean by that is, I'm sure you guys have that there too, but here in the States, often I was teaching English, and in English, they're different. Tracks. So there was the remedial track, which was called level two. There was was no level one. Like the kids aren't going to figure that out. But there's level two and level three and level four and then honors. And so they gave me the, the lowest of the low, the developmental level two track kids. And so these were kids who, you know, were ninth grade, but reading at like a fourth or fifth grade level. Um, and had been kicked in and out of schools before and you know all these issues and I start I got to the point where by the end of a semester with me they were jumping up to honors and not because they got any smarter but because they started to engage they started to actually love what they were doing they started to get connected to actually learning in a way that was fun for them and tapped into how smart they were and gave them a way to express
1: you benefit from a business coach or mentor who's the real deal? Or from a training program customized to fix real problems or help you and your team hit actual KPIs and performance targets? Stuart Hayes stepped away from his career as a global change CEO and committed to mentoring, coaching, and training a new generation of leaders, as well as anyone seeking positive impact through their business or career. Visit StuartHayesLeadership.com now. Book a free one-hour strategy session with Stuart and learn how you can get the skills, training and knowledge normally limited to selected staff within Tier 1 multinational organizations. Programs are available for every need and budget.
2: So Sarah, I mean yeah, personality wise we're we're really similar. I'm a massive enthusiast and, and so yeah. are you. And so in your experience with education, and, and I want to just ask it in two ways, you mentioned yeah. visual audio and kinesthetic, and obviously yeah. Stu and I know all about this, but the listeners may yes. not. So in, really quickly, because we're going to run out of time, how okay. does enthusiasm and Vax tie together to help someone join the dots and learn quick?
3: Mm. Okay, so I'm going to answer that, but I also want to just say as a preface, this is not just about the classroom, right? So so now what I do is actually much, much more in the corporate world than in the education world. Like yesterday, I was just facilitating a half a day session with um, an ad agency of 200 people. Mm -hmm. And so, and I got six different people, I counted, six different people came up to me at breaks and asked me some kind of question regarding energy. Where do you get that energy? How do you do that? Da, 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 da. And it's fascinating to me because to me, it's just what I do. I come alive and I get energy from presenting and from helping other people get energy. But there's, there's something about being able to create it and set the bar for everybody else in the room. So whether you're, in, you're leading a meeting, you're leading a classroom, you're leading a team, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want their energy to be, your energy has to be bigger than that. Because they're only going to come to about 50 to three-quarter percent of what you're modeling from the front. And so if I am ho-hum about my own content or what I'm saying, then they're going to be far less than that, right? So that's part of it, is being able to kind of step out of your own comfort zone to be able to step into the bigness of what you have to bring. Whether it's the idea that you're bringing or the initiative that you're leading or the, the whatever it is, right? So whatever it is, you have to figure out how your energy is gonna match that match that and step into it. Now, I wanna say that introverts can also do this. And when I say introvert, I know that this is a big hot topic right now, extrovert introvert. And which is really about where a person gets their energy, right? So an extrovert gets their energy from interaction with other people. An introvert gets more of their energy and gets refueled from being from from reflection and being alone and being away from people. Now, some of the biggest introverts I know are phenomenally energetic presenters, okay? But what they do afterwards, after they present, is, a, is a very different than what an extrovert is going to do, right? So they absolutely have to have more alone time. Now, I really believe that it's a spectrum, that, that it's sort of like a sliding scale of extrovert on one end and introvert on the other, and everybody's kind of somewhere in between. Some are a little more far to one side than the other. But you take whatever that energy is, figure out what you want it to be for the group, model it, and then visual, auditory, kinesthetic, as you're mentioning, are the sort of like the super highways, is a way to think of it, sort of the super highways of communication in a person's mind. Mm-hmm. So visual is literally. Exactly what it sounds like. Anything that somebody is picturing. So for a person who's presenting or leading, this is anything that you're putting up on a whiteboard. It's a handout. It's a visual clip that you're showing. It's a movie. It's anything like that. And it's also, by the way, and people underestimate this all the time, if you have not one prop or no technology, nothing to actually physically show them, It's you,
2: your (laughs) gestures, your movements,
3: your, that's right. Your presence, your face, your, how much space you're taking up. So it's, I think people underestimate that. You can have the, a PowerPoint presentation that's six stories tall and still you are just as much of a visual as that is, or you should be right. Because it's, to me, I've presented to, to groups as big as 5,000 people at a time, but I still feel a personal connection with the audience because I'm talking to them just like it's one person. Right. So I'm using the same facial expression. I'm searching for eye contact, obviously, with not all 5,000 people, but (laughs) simulated. Right. So I am looking into that entire crowd as and looking and speaking to individual people. So I think that that's a really important thing that people discount. Like I've got great big visuals here. So I don't count in the mix and it's not true. So that's one thing. So anything visual and visual language, let's see what I'm saying. Picture this. It's clear as day, right? So the, the visual words that we use tap in for people. Um, auditory is what everything sounds like. So it's it's the tone of my voice. It's the sort of melody to my sentence structure. It's um, it's the music that I use. I am a huge, huge advocate of using music as an assistant whenever you're leading a group or teaching. So I just was leading an executive meeting the other day for the most buttoned up stuffed shirts you've ever seen in your life and I had loud music playing um every time we went from one agenda topic to the next I had them up moving loud music was blaring and they couldn't help but change their state get more engaged and every time we got back into the conversation again they had a different energy and focus about them so auditory can be used in a lot of different ways to tap into where people are the other part of auditory that people commonly miss Is it's not just what I'm saying is the presenter or the facilitator or the leader, but it's what they're saying, right? So, so often people are afraid to have the audience speak, but they need to speak because auditory is both auditory in, which is anything that I hear, but it's also auditory out, which is much more powerful, which is anything that's coming out of my own mouth. So I'll often use callbacks. What are they called? Callbacks. Yeah, like that. So yeah. I'll say something and have an, the audience repeat it back, or I'll ask a question that another presenter might ask, but not wait for an answer. It becomes a rhetorical question, but I actually pause for the extra, you know, twenty seconds so to the, make somebody in the audience actually answer the answer it.
2: Suggestopedia or suggestology, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, so what we know is mm-hmm. that you know we're all legends in our own minds, right? So whose idea are you going to remember longer, mine or yours? mine. <laughs> of course. So if I can have it come out of your mouth instead of my mouth, it's going to stick a lot longer, mean a lot more, and, and it's going to translate into you actually doing something with it later much, much more likely than if, if it's just something you heard me say, right? So that's a big thing.
2: So this he, is this, this, this thing of education where it comes from educa- So I think I learned this from your brother to, yeah. put, to pull out of rather than to jam into
3: Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so often, I know it's the case there as well, but our school systems are so much focused right now on jamming as much in as they can so that they can pass a test. Mm. And it's really not, that's not learning. It's not education, right? So it's cramming in, but yes, if we can pull it out, that's the magic. And then the final one that i that I think to me is, is the truly the best for last. And it's not because it's how I'm mostly wired, but it's because it truly is the one that trumps them all. So if I could give you a diagnostic right now, and and I have these on my website that you can go and check out, and there's some great ones out there, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, which one is the most prominent, kinesthetic, no matter, even if you come out highly visual, if I use kinesthetic with you, it will trump it every single time. Kinesthetic is made of two things, physical, so motion, and emotion. So commonly misunderstood that emotion is actually a big part of kinesthetic. So any time I'm tapping into your emotion or I'm having you physically do something, it's kinesthetic. Now, experience, of course, is kinesthetic. If I have you go through a simulation, that's obviously kinesthetic. But I'm a big fan of work kinesthetic in all the time. So I was sitting around a board room table the other day with that same stuffed shirt group that I was describing. And I had them doing motions and snapping and standing up and sitting down and giving high fives and not to make it rah-rah, but to get them physically moving. Because what we know is that if I can get your body moving, your brain's going to move as well, right? Mm. And what we also know is that muscle memory is, is more powerful than most other kinds of memory. What we also know is that emotional memory is the one that trumps everything. So if I can tap into your amygdala, get into your emotional center of your brain and get you to care, you will learn anything, right? And so that's the one that often people don't know how to engage with but is the one that's the most powerful and, frankly, I think the most fun but as adults, as we get further and further away from like elementary and grade school, is the one that sort of falls out of the way, out of the picture for most presenters and leaders and trainers. But it's actually the one that is the stickiest and the most important.
0: So, Sarah, we're, we're actually really running out of time here. So I want to okay. sort of perhaps point the audience to a couple of resources that they can uh, access. Um, one thing that I, that I really had hoped we could talk a little bit about, which we don't really have time, but I know that you, you're you going to make this available, is leading teams to disruptive change. Uh, you wrote a, a chapter yes. in a book. Just for all the listeners, uh, Sarah is going to have the chapter that she wrote or a part of that chapter available at careersunplugged.com. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about some of the things that Sarah has been doing herself, um, There's a couple of things that uh, we can talk about. Tap into your greatness uh, and also high-impact training and delivery. Sarah, where should they go? How should they uh, learn a little bit about these things?
3: They can just come right to my site, which is sarasingerandco.com So that's S-A-R-A-H-S-I-N-G-E-R-A-N-D-C-O.com. And you can find all kinds of stuff out there. Great resources like Tapping Their Greatness and High Impact Delivery. I've got a blog that I put out every couple of weeks. Um, and I'd love to keep supporting all of us in opening that possibility every single day.
0: And these are great resources. I mean, you know, tap into your grace, greatness, your graceness, tap into your greatness uh, is really for people that want to have influence in any capacity, right? So uh, yes, and high impact delivery and training is more about the sort of things that you've done, uh, you know, what you did back in Chicago, what you've, what you've been doing ever since you were a teenager and all the way through to today in, in the way that you present and in, in the way that you hold the space um, in front of a group.
3: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So please check them out and I'd love to talk more about it. <laughs>
0: um, thank you to you, Sarah. It's been, it's been great to, to share and to hear firsthand. We've not met before. Um, I've listened to your, to your CDs uh, about training and coaching. I've had the privilege of, of hearing your story through, uh, through Blair and also with Rich um, so thank you so much. Rich, is there anything you wanted to
2: – Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, Sarah, for the listeners, what's your gold nugget?
0: What's the gold nugget for a
2: listener? to, If they want to engage with themselves and, you know, become out of their comfort zone, become their biggest and best self, what's, what's a word of wisdom you'd give
3: them? Move.
2: <laughs>
3: so get <laughs> – and, and I mean that physically, I mean it mentally, and I mean it emotionally. So no matter what it is, if you've got something that is that is driving you crazy because you want it so badly, or it's driving you crazy because you want it and you know it needs to change, the only way it's going to happen is if you make the move. you got to make the move in your head. you got to make the move emotionally and take the leap. And you've got to make the move and get up and get going.
0: I love it. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Third, so, but too isn't it? You know, like get moving and then sort of feel your direction as you go, but keep moving, keep moving.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. that's right. It, what was his thing? The uh, the purpose of the goal is not to achieve the goal, but just to stay in motion.
3: Yeah, yeah. To, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah. Sarah, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, I look forward to doing it again soon. That.
3: It
2: was an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so much fun. To all of you at, at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. We hope the insights provided by Sarah will help you on your journey. Make a point of visiting careersunplug.com and check out Sarah's excellent information that she's going to give us and you can get there and uh, leave a comment, get access to a whole bunch of other resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career and business. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stew.